2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. We ask now that you take your word and grant us understanding and grant us application for our lives. Give us discernment as we look at your word together and continue to guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have a major dilemma at our house these days. Major dilemma. How many pairs of pajamas should a child have? How many pairs of pajamas should a child have? What I was thinking is we could put it up for a vote this morning and solve this and remove some stress from my life. I mean, how do you make decisions like this? How many pairs of pajamas should a child have? Now, I don't know what you're dealing with at your house, but I'm sure you're not dealing with that question. Maybe some of you are. And so, how does that decision get made? As I asked the question one night, actually, believe it or not, I asked the question, how many pairs of pajamas and how often do they need to be changed? I mean, that's, I'm just coming from what I know thing. The, the answer basically was, well, my mom, and this is the way I was raised, and this is what everybody does. Very legitimate, very legitimate thing. So the source of authority in making the decision is what? Previous experience and what everybody else is doing. Just perfectly legitimate. My beef this morning is not with the decision about the amount of pajamas. But you and I are making much bigger decisions every single day. The issue before us is not how many pairs of pajamas we should have, but we've got issues like, how should I respond when my boss treats me poorly? We've got even bigger issues than that. What happens to my son or my daughter when they pass away? We were on vacation a couple weeks ago in California, and we met an individual in California who was quite interesting. And an individual, as they were driving us around, was explaining to us the beautiful mountains and the beautiful creation, and it had lost her son at some point, didn't give us too much information about that, but then talked about how the clouds are kind of the presence of her son now each and every day. 
So she was taking fact in the comfort that there was these beautiful clouds, and in those beautiful clouds, those were kind of, that was kind of where her son was residing right now. Now, I'm not here this morning to, to rebuke this, this woman or talk about different ideas she had about the clouds and the mountains and what they were and where her son was and things, but it was pretty clear that she had a little different source of authority about what happened after death than I did. But she's no different than any of us. Because all of us are making decisions about things like that all the time. The question is, what's our source of authority? I've attended numerous funerals. Attended a funeral one time. During the funeral, it was pronounced that the person who passed away was an uncle. This uncle was now driving a John Deere tractor in heaven. I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble this morning. I'm sorry. There's no basis to say that at all. The source of authority in that declaration at that moment was what made everyone comfortable and made everyone feel good. And that made everyone feel good and comfortable because it gave them positive thoughts because they wanted to think of their uncle driving the tractor now in a great spot. Is it necessarily wrong? It might not necessarily wrong, but... There's no authority in Scripture to make such a statement. It doesn't say anything like that in the Scripture about life after death. So what's our basis of authority? Our basis of authority is our comfort, what we want everyone else to hear, or what everyone else is saying. If we looked at every issue that we go through in our life, we could ask ourselves the question, what's the source of authority for why I think that way, or why I do that. Every single day, we do things unconsciously, right? Have, have you ever thought about why you do some things? Why do you eat lunch between 11 and 1? I just was raised to eat lunch between 11 and 1, right? Why do I take a break at 10 a.m.? Grandpa always took a break at 10 a.m. for coffee and donuts. But it's just... You grew up that way, so that's your source of authority. Think of when we make decisions in church. Why do we worship on Sunday mornings? Well, everybody else worships on Sunday mornings, and nobody works on Sundays, so we worship on Sunday mornings. You could worship on Tuesdays, according to the Scripture. What's our source of authority for everything? That's the question before us this morning, is where are we going to get our guidance where are we going to get our direction? This morning, if you look with me at first, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 10 through 17, the Apostle Paul is making a very bold statement to Timothy, to those of us who are reading this letter. And it can basically be summarized by this. The Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, people receiving this letter, you are to continue living in the truth of God's word as it is profitable for you. That's this morning's thesis statement. You are to continue living in the truth of God's word as it is profitable for you. In other words, God's word is to be the source of everything you do in your faith and your life. If you look with me here at 2 Timothy, jump back up to the beginning of chapter 3 if you would. The beginning of chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul is laying out a bunch of behaviors that are going on. The Apostle Paul says, hey, There's all these people that are lovers of self. There's lovers of money. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're abusive. 
They're disobedient. They don't have self-control. They don't love good. They're reckless. They're lovers of pleasure. They have the appearance of godliness, but they don't have godliness. The Apostle Paul's laying out all of these different things that everyone has that's living around Timothy. But now the Apostle Paul gets down in verse 10 where we pick it up and he says, however you... So in other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, this is what's true of the people around you. This is what's going on in their life. But with you, it's supposed to be different. And then that's what we get the rest of chapter 3 of how it's supposed to be different. And then we pick up in verse, in verse, six, verse 15, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 14, he begins to lay out how it's supposed to be different. Look with me at verse 14. This is how it's supposed to be different for Timothy and us than the other people. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. So the Apostle Paul is basically saying, Hey, they're going that way, but you are supposed to continue to live in this information that you've received and continue to receive through the Scriptures. So in other words, continue to live in the truth of God's Word because it is profitable for you. Each week over the next five months, we're going to have what's called a non-negotiable. The whole point of the Essentials series is to determine, okay, what's non-negotiable? What are we not even willing to debate? This is the way it is. These are non-negotiable things. Everything else, let's get together in a room and box, do whatever we have to do to make the best decision possible. But these things are not up for debate. So our first non-negotiable today... Our first non-negotiable is this. Scripture is to be the functioning authority in your faith and life. Scripture is to be the functioning authority in your faith and life. This is non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus Christ. One cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and not submit to the Scripture as the final authority. Otherwise, you're following a self-made Jesus Christ. Because the only way we know Jesus is through the Bible. God's Word lays out clearly here in 1 Timothy 3, 10-18, telling us, hey, Scripture needs to be the authority for you. Look what's going on in the rest of society. Whoa, not so with you. You stay in line with Scripture. Scripture is supposed to be your functioning authority. Notice the word here. The key word in this whole sentence is this. Functioning. All of us have been part of something before where we've stated something, but it's not the functional truth. You know, there's people all over the world that sign these big statements. Oh, I signed this statement about the environment, or I signed this statement about what I believe, or I signed this statement that I'm no longer going to shop at X, Y, and Z store. What happens? You start shopping at X, Y, and Z store again. You start living this way. You sign stuff all the time. It's not functioning all you did is made a statement. What God's Word is telling us here is that He doesn't want us to have this agreed-upon statement that the Scripture is our authority. He wants it to function as our authority. If you ever go to a committee meeting somewhere, you've got the stated leader, the person who's running the meeting, who is stated to be the key individual, but then you also have what? The functional leader. That when it's time to make a decision, everybody looks around the room and says, what is so-and-so saying or thinking right now? That's the functional leader. You can have someone who's stated to be the boss. They might not be the functional boss. And for too long in church history and too long in our own personal lives, 
We've all said, yes, the Bible. We believe in the Bible. You know, we, w- we want the Bible to be preached. We've stated that. We've agreed upon that. So the question before us is this. Is the Bible functioning as the authority in our lives? God's Word says to us that the Scripture should be the functioning authority in our faith, in our life. Why should the Scripture, why should God's Word be the functioning authority in our lives? Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 16, it tells us right here why Scripture is authoritative. All Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, Scripture is produced by God. God is the author of Scripture. Where does God's Word come from? God Himself. This right here, the source behind all this information, all this revelation, is God Himself. It is breathed out by God. We believe that all Scripture is authored by God. What we mean by that is this, that God initiates what is said, directs how it is said, and is in control of the final product in the original Hebrew and Greek that Scripture was written in. Notice what the Apostle Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, Scripture was dictated this way. So we don't know exactly how this came to be. So for example, King David, if we look back into Psalm 23, a a famous psalm of everyone, the Lord is my shepherd, we believe that God inspired that. We don't know exactly how it happened. We don't know if King David had a pad of paper and he was sitting in his little cave and was like, Okay, what is that next line? The Lord is my shepherd. What's the next line? Probably not. It was at a moment where King David is inspired in the midst of anger, in the midst of grief, and the Lord gives him this whole word, and at some point, that's recorded down on our behalf. So we have God speaking to us. We don't know how, but we know that God brought it all to be. So for example... There's a comma in verse 16. Verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, comma. Did God put the comma there? Well, no, God didn't put the comma there. English translators put the comma there. But God brought about the teaching, the point of the passage. He brought about the words. But then they're put in human form where we can understand them. Commas, letters, words, sentence structure, all of that. So God puts himself in human form. Language. It's God speaking to us through Scripture. The only reason the Bible is authoritative is because of the author of the Bible. We don't start with the Bible and say, well, how can we make the Bible authoritative? Let's vote on it. No. There's a God. God says, hey, this is my book. I wrote it. Do everything in it. That makes it authoritative. The Bible is authoritative because of the author of the Bible. So what's the Bible supposed to do? What's the Bible supposed to do for us? We get a very clear picture here in verses 15, 16, and 17 of what the Bible does. Look with me at verse 15 as we learn what the Bible does. Verse 15, he says, You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which means scriptures. You have been acquainted with the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus. The very first thing that the Bible does, that scriptures do, is this. They bring us to salvation. John chapter 5, Jesus is having an interesting discussion with the religious leaders. 
The religious leaders knew the Bible inside and out. The religious leaders had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized. That's a bundle of material. They had all of that memorized, yet Jesus says to the religious leaders, you're missing the whole point. The whole point of Scripture is that they would make Jesus known so that they can come to salvation. You can read all of this and memorize it and still miss the whole point if you miss Jesus for your salvation. The first and the primary purpose of Scripture is this, to make us wise for salvation. We only know that Jesus is our Savior through the Scriptures. We come to know that we're sinners through the Scriptures, as the Scriptures tell us that we've done wrong, as the Scriptures lay out for us the commands of God, and we recognize we haven't obeyed all the commands of God. And then the Scriptures tell us that Jesus died for us, that Jesus asks us to repent and to trust in Him. The Scriptures make us wise for salvation. That's the primary purpose of the Bible, lead us to salvation in Christ. Scriptures make us wise for salvation, but then we also see here in verse 16, Scriptures equip us for living. Verse 16, the Scriptures equip us for living. Look at it with me. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Basically, in other words, the Bible is meant to do this. Teach us how to live. A lot of times we'd say, well, what about what's the law and what's the gospel? And then we argue back and forth. What's grace? What's... Who cares? If God says it, you do it. And the basically the Bible is laying out for us that which God wants. And so the Bible equips us on how to live in this world. The Bible leads us to salvation, but then secondly, the Bible equips us to live faithfully in this world. If we want to know how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to behave, we have to look in one place, the Scriptures. For the Scriptures equip us to live in this world. The challenge becomes now, okay, what about when the Scriptures are silent? If the Scriptures are to equip us to live in this world, what about when the Scriptures are silent? So for example, where should I live? Well, one, I've not found Sioux Falls anywhere in the Bible. So, am I living in the wrong place? So the the Bible doesn't set out to answer every question. But the Bible gives us principles or truths to live in. And now what do we have to do? We have to ask for wisdom to apply that knowledge to all of our specific situations. A lot of us have knowledge... The issue is, do we have wisdom, the ability to take that knowledge and apply it in a specific situation? So, for example, let's say I'm at work. I'm at work, and everybody around me at work is, you know, bad talking about the boss and the supervisor because the supervisor made a bad decision. And maybe the supervisor did make a bad decision. Wisdom is the ability to take the truth in God's Word that says, do not gossip respect those in authority and apply it in that very specific situation. To be able to sit in that situation and not slander your supervisor, even if they've made a mistake. Wisdom is the ability in that situation not to gossip about your co-worker. 
Wisdom is the ability to take biblical truth and apply it to specific situations. So for another example, nowhere in the Bible does it tell me what I should drive. If I went by the Bible's directions for getting around, I'm either walking or riding on a camel. Well, I don't see any camels parked out front this morning, so I'm assuming that nobody's riding a camel. So the question becomes, what do I drive? And if the Bible is the functioning authority in my life, how does the Bible help me decide what I drive? Well, the Bible teaches us some things about money. The Bible teaches us how we're to use money. So wisdom is now the ability to take the biblical teaching on money and apply it to a decision I'm making about a car. So the Bible doesn't answer every question for us. The Bible gives us these truths, and then God gives us wisdom to apply the truths in specific situations. The Bible, first and foremost, leads us to salvation in Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Bible comes and equips us to live as followers of Christ. Our non-negotiable is this, that Scripture is to be the functioning authority in your faith and life. We actually have this in our congregation's core beliefs, core teachings, that we believe in the Word of God, that it's inerrant, that Scripture has the final authority in all matters. It says that in all matters of faith and life, Scripture has the final authority. The question is this, is it functioning that way in my own life? Over the next five months, as we build on this series called The Essentials, everything we look at over the next five months, we're going to ask the question, are we getting it from the scriptures or are we getting it from tradition and our culture? And over the next five months, some of you are going to get really mad. Because you know what? There's going to be some things that you grew up believing that were taught by tradition, and they're not necessarily wrong, but you can't say that they're necessarily right either because it doesn't come from the source. Scripture has the authority. It comes from a mingling of a variety of other things. Is Scripture functioning as the final authority in my life and in my faith? So, what's the practical application? Each week in the sermon, we're going to have a non-negotiable. Each week, we're going to have what we call the PAT. You know, after you score a touchdown, you got the point after the touchdown? Well, the touchdown is the non-negotiable. That the Scripture is the final authority. So now we have to have the point after the touchdown, the practical application for today. What's the practical application for today? Well, there's three of them. The first is this. These three are just quite obvious. First is this. We need to spend five to ten minutes reading our Bible every day. If, if we believe what is said this morning, that the only way that that practically lives itself out is if I'm actually in the Bible day to day. The Bible can't be authoritative in my life if I'm not reading the Bible. This is very practical. Five to ten minutes a day in the Bible. God's not asking us to go build a temple somewhere and spend all of our time reading the Scriptures. That's not the point. He wants us to live in the world, to do our jobs, to do our hobbies. But we still need to be saturated in the Bible so the Bible's our authority in all of those situations. Five to ten minutes a day. It'll transform your life. I guarantee it. It it will change the way you look. It'll change your perspective. It'll change the way you act. Five to ten minutes a day in the Bible. So how? That's the second practical application. We need to start reading through books of the Bible. So here's my, if you really want to go home and apply it, do this. Read through one of these four books. 
read through either John, 1 John, 1 Peter, or Luke. Just read through the book and work through a book at a time. Stop picking up your Bible and going, well, what should I read? And pick the verse out here. Put down the devotional books for 30 days. Put down the devotional books for 30 days and just work through John, 1 John, 1 Peter, Luke. Let the Scriptures speak. Very practical. It's all you got to do. Work through it day by day. Just keep reading the letter. These are written as letters, and if you get a letter in the mail, what do you do? Read through the letter. You don't start at the bottom, and then maybe hop up, read a sentence here. You read through the letter. We need to read through the Scriptures. The final practical application for today is the most difficult and the most obvious. Do what God says. I mean, we could talk all day long about, I could give you the defense of why the Scripture should be trusted. I could give you the defense for the different translations. I could give you the defense for why the Bible has various spots that are historically accurate. I could give you all that, and we could talk about it back and forth. At the end of the day, none of that matters unless we're willing to do what God says. So as we're reading the Bible for five to ten minutes a day, and the Bible, as you're reading, and the Bible says something like, forgive one another as Christ forgave you, that's God saying that, so you and I should do it. When you get convicted by something as you're reading, or you get encouraged to do something, we need to do it. We need to do it right there, right then, as soon as possible. This is I mean, this is that, that simple. I don't know what else to say is the practical application. If it says it, we have to do it. Even if, even if it doesn't make sense. Now, this is critical. This is absolutely critical because you know what? The majority of what it says doesn't make sense in your mind. If our church actually started to follow what the Bible teaches, almost at least half would be going, oh, slow down. That doesn't make any... We don't do that in our business. We don't do that in our company. Well, you know what? The Bible's not the authority in your company. And if we start implementing what the Bible says, it's not going to make sense. Where else in the world does it say, love your enemies as you love yourself? That doesn't make sense. What do we do? Uh, Let's move as far away as we can. Let's put our enemies over here and, and find ways to not have to interact with them. The Bible says, hey, stop storing up possessions. Sell your stuff. <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense. You know what would happen to the Sioux Falls economy if we actually implemented the Bible? The Sioux Falls economy would crash. The, the Bible doesn't make sense. We've got to know this going into it because the Bible's coming from a different world. The Bible's coming from heaven itself because God is the author. These practical applications only make sense and will only enter into doing them when we come to the following conviction. The following conviction that J.R. Packer says, what Scripture says, God says. Until we come to the point where we believe that what is said here is said by God, we'll always shy away from the Bible a little bit. But when we come to the point of conviction where we say, wow, That's God speaking. Then how can you not pick this up every day if you've got an opportunity to hear from the creator of the world? If you showed up at work tomorrow and as you're standing around the water cooler and you said, hey, God spoke to me this morning, 
How's that going to go over? Thing. What, what do we usually do? When somebody says that, what do we do? If I got up here this morning and I said to all of you, last night God told me, what would you initially do? Yeah, I take this with a little grain of salt. We do that a lot. Reality is, God spoke to me this morning about 6.43. I'm banking on it that God's going to speak to me again tomorrow morning around the exact same time. And you know what? God wants to speak to you tomorrow morning. God wants to speak to you every single day so that he can lead you into salvation and so that God can equip you for a life of faithfulness to him. I have no idea how many pairs of pajamas you should have. But I do know where we can find the keys to life's questions from God himself in the scriptures. For what the scripture says, God says. That's where we find salvation. That's where we find our life. Let it be said of us that the scriptures were the functioning authority in every decision we made as a congregation and as individuals. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this gift. And Lord, we pray now that you'd give us a hunger and a passion to encounter you every single day. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we acknowledge that many times we struggle to understand your word. And we ask, Lord, that you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to understand how to apply your word to our hearts. Lord, I pray for each person in this room this morning now. I pray that you'd give each person the commitment. I pray that you'd give each person the desire to take the time to encounter you every day. God, I pray that you would guide us as a congregation on how to apply your truths to our life as a congregation and how to apply your truth to our life as individuals. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for continually speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.